0: it's just gonna be awkward because there's gonna be no context (laughs) one of the things i wish i could do is just walk inside of
1: mansions (laughs) Uh, you want to walk in other people's houses yeah i want to explore not just mansions large estates
0: (laughs) i just want to be inside of them to know what it feels like to walk through those hallowed halls (laughs) large houses and small houses too it honestly doesn't matter the size it just matters um how you use the space (laughs) what's on the inside is what counts well best of
1: luck in your venture yeah it's just a pipe dream (laughs) (laughs) do you watch anything over the weekend i've been watching season seven of the flash Uh Uh
0: they've been hitting me with clips on youtube with uh flash and reverse flash and godspeed godspeed but i saw them use electricity and they ignited lightsabers and they were fighting with those and i was like am i missing out on something
1: here i've been watching that show for seven years and i love it
0: it's still good after all this time
1: (laughs) in my opinion season five there was a drop season six was probably the not best season and then season seven has actually been pretty decent so far. Hmm. The cast is so good. It's the best of the CW shows by far. What are we talking about today? We have a lot to talk about, about this. Oh yeah. What are we talking about?
0: Today we are talking about the latest blockbuster to grace the silver screen, or would it be the golden screen? It'd be all screens because it's streaming and theaters. The Suicide Squad, the new DC soft reboot slash soft sequel of the 2016 David Ayer, right? David Ayer. This was a soft reboot slash soft sequel from James Gunn after he was let go from Disney.
1: Shink! Guillotined.
0: Someone uncovered a couple salacious tweets from God knows how long ago from James Gunn's Twitter. It was about
1: 10 years previous.
0: And so Disney said the mouse will have none of that. And they let him go despite the critical success of Guardians 1 and 2. And uh, I think they're back together now but in that meet, in that short amount of time Warner Brothers was desperate for some creative
1: so they scooped him up
0: in vision yeah, and they uh they got him to do the suicide squad they
1: were like do you want to do superman and he was like no oh. and he's like can I do batman and they're <laughs> like they're like batman's already being done by matt reeves and they're like okay so like is there any other property you want to work with and he's like i guess i'll do like another ensemble film with a bunch of nobodies And he took the Suicide Squad and... Nobody
0: characters, not nobody actors, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, nobody characters. And uh, made it into a thing. Yeah. There's So much to talk about, man. Yeah. Let's briefly talk about the history. The first Suicide Squad movie, just entitled Suicide Squad, (laughs) by David Ayer was sort of in post hell for a little bit and there was like a lot of confusion as to what happened because of the snyder cut Zack snyder's justice league and people coming around fans rallying for him to create a new film taking all of his footage and making the new version of the Justice League movie known as the Snyder Cut. People were sort of sort of rallying, trying to support David Ayer because they knew that Warner Brothers sort of hacked his movie as well in post production. And David was like, Yeah, that'd be really sweet, because my version of the movie was rad and nobody ever got to see it. And it's come to light recently from and this is from one of the producers of Warner Brothers saying that what happened was that there were two versions of the movie that both tested equally and they decided to merge them. One was David Ayer's cut. The other one was Warner Brothers' cut that had all the music and stuff. So they decided, they decided to merge both those cuts because they tested equally. And then that's the kind of the version of the movie that we got.
0: What an insane thought process. Like I have a beautiful goat and I have a beautiful human child. Yeah. We
1: should merge the two. At at some point I think David kind of said, Oh well, like I have no control over what you do, you know. Like it's your movie. It's even though he was directing it, he kind of just had to kill his darlings and move forward. So that movie was wildly unsuccessful as far as both the critics and the audience that uh, went to see it. They didn't like it. But it made a lot of money and it won an Academy Award for best visual effects. So the franchise though, the IP was kind of dead in the water until James Gunn came along, who again, as Gabe just said, was very famous for making the Marvel movies Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's, you know, used to working with an ensemble cast and taking a bunch of actors and kind of giving them equal protagonist roles and juggling those very, very well. And so he decided to do that again, but for Warner Brothers and the DC comic book universe instead of Marvel with this, like he said, sort of soft sequel, soft reboot to Suicide Squad. And this movie is called The Suicide Squad. (laughs) And that's how soft reboot it actually is because it took the same exact title but just put the word the in front of it instead of saying Suicide Squad 2. And this movie has been a rousing success with both audience and critics, but it has made less money and there's a lot of reasons why that is. It's probably mainly due to being a pandemic era film and also simultaneously releasing the film on HBO Max, which is Warner Brothers streaming service. So it's kind of like two strikes against this film, even though people are calling it the best DC comics Warner Brothers movie that's ever. Been made. And I don't think that they're taking into account the Nolan Batman films or the Richard Donner, Christopher Reeves, Superman films. I think they're kind of talking about the DC extended universe, like everything from Man of Steel and onward. So, anyway, that's kind of the history of where we're at and why this movie exists. And yeah, there's so much to talk about in this movie, though, because after seeing it, <laughs> I think Gabe and I had different reactions. And there's a lot of reasons to why that is.
0: You want to talk about the plot at all, or no? I'm just jump into. Uh, what plot? <laughs>
1: <laughs> a bunch of.
0: <laughs> it's a pretty simple plot.
1: <laughs> yeah, why don't you tell the plot?
0: There's a there's an island off the coast of somewhere called Corto Maltese, and on that island is a secret scientific base harboring a giant extraterrestrial creature called. Star... I can't remember what it was technically called, but... Starro. Yeah, they...
1: Starro is a very famous DC villain.
0: that I think that was, like, what um, the thinker named it. He called it Starro the Conqueror, mm-hmm. but I think it was actually called, like... Its regular designation was, like, something else, I think.
1: It's an extraterrestrial starfish. It's
0: a giant kaiju starfish.
1: Well, it grows with every new person that it latches onto. It grows both in physical form and in power and prowess.
0: Oh, so it was, oh, it was smaller, huh? When they discovered it.
1: Yeah. Original Starro is like maybe three or four feet tall. And then as he sends out the new kind of starfish to latch onto people, that's why they had all those people underneath stuck with the starfish on their faces, just in cages, Mm -hmm. because it enabled Starro to grow really, really big. I see. Yeah.
0: Anyway, that thing is underneath the island. And so essentially the suicide squad is sent there to... On a suicide mission. On a suicide mission with no hope of returning. To take it out. (laughs) Yeah, to... Under the guise of... uh, They're not told the true nature of their mission, but it's essentially to bury the evidence of Starro.
1: They're trying to take out what is known as Project Starfish, but they don't know what Project Starfish is. Oh, yeah. The person that sent them there does, but they don't know what it is.
0: And all this is happening in real time i was gonna say it's it's hidden within a uh, political schema it's a coup yeah essentially a yeah, military the, coup the
1: social commentary in this movie is fat it's very thick it's p-h-a-t fat so much so that i was like i saw the movie before give and i texted him and i was like <laughs> there's so much talk about social commentary wise and he's like what oh, <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, it's <laughs> it's crazy.
0: When I watched it, I was... It, it's hard to even call it social commentary. Aghast. or it's, ho- it's hard to call it subtext because it was the main text of the film. Yeah, Like it was the very plot of the film above Starro was American imperialism. <laughs> I <laughs> was like, holy crap. Yeah, that's true. Because they kept coming back to it every few minutes. It was America bad, basically.
1: We'll get back into that in a second. Let's talk about the cast really quick. So you all know... Who we're talking about
0: they brought back some people some characters they from the brought first back film.
1: four characters from the original suicide squad movie viola davis plays amanda waller she's sort of the person that's in charge of everything she's in charge of this prison this prison that holds all these uh metahumans special talented people and she implants chips in their brains to essentially kill them if they don't obey orders she's a psychopath Mm -hmm. and uh, a megalomaniac. So she's one of the returning characters. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is back from the original Suicide Squad movie and then the Emancipation of Harley Quinn movie. Then they brought back... Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney (laughs) as Boomerang. And then they brought back Joel Kinnaman, who plays Rick Flagg, and he's sort of the the boots-on-the-ground military type he's there for the good he's the handler and he's the leader of the group but he's also doing the biddings of amanda waller viola davis so then there's all these other new characters that were introduced played by all amazing actors taika waititi very small champion. was Ratcatcher one
0: <laughs> did not see that coming
1: that was unbelievable that scene i was like what the hell is happening i was like oh they have reach they have a lot of reach So both Taika and James Gunn have treaded both the waters of Marvel and DC. Anyone can show up in a
0: James Gunn movie at this point.
1: I know, for real. Did you see Palm Clementif?
0: Yeah. I immediately recognized her, but I couldn't pin it down like where she was from until I figured it out. I knew it
1: immediately. I was like, oh my gosh, that's Palm Clementif from the Guardians movies. She's very recognizable. And the Avengers movies. Okay, so Michael Rooker, who's also from Guardians movie, played savant. Nathan Fillion played TDK. The detachable kid. Flula Borg played Javelin. He was funny. Mailing. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how to say that last name. NG. That is her last name is NG. Played Mongol. Pete Davidson, who's of SNL fame, played Blackguard. Sean Gunn, who's James Gunn's brother, played Weasel and Calendar Man. <laughs> what? Calendar Man. Calendar Man's a, a sweet villain in he, DC. He was just the one that like yelled it. Yeah. In the prison in the beginning. Steven Blackheart played Briscoe. David Dasmalkian played Polka Dot Man. He's been an up-and-coming actor for a while. He's in Dune. He was in The Dark Knight. He's been in a lot of things. Peter Capaldi played The Thinker. He's cool because he's one of the doctors in Doctor Who. Then we get to John Cena, who played Peacemaker. And then Idris Elba played Bloodsport. And then Daniela Melchior played Ratcatcher 2. Talk about up-and-comer. She's going to be huge. Yeah, she's going to be major star
0: i think this was her first english-speaking role oh really yeah because she's portuguese i'm not sure
1: and then sylvester stallone played king shark but he was just the voice of him bird bird <laughs> yep and uh anyway the cast was huge i'm probably missing some people but the main five people were polka dot man harley quinn blood king shark
0: peacemaker and rick flag. Pe-
1: peacemaker and rick flag And Ratcatcher too. So seven. I mean, seven people. There were five. expanded into seven because there were two people that were on the island from a different team.
0: Not all the heroes or villains make it out of this film.
1: (laughs) Most of them don't. (laughs) The protagonists. Yeah, anti-heroes. Anyway, this movie was nuts. Yeah. Where do we begin? I'm curious. Why don't you just, in a couple sentences, tell me, did you like it?
0: I did. So I think I'd preface the things I'm about to say with something you brought up right after you'd seen it to me, which is the way you watch it, which is I saw it in a theater with friends, which I think is the best way to see this movie. Gabe had
1: other friends, by the way. It's a rare occurrence. Besides me.
0: I managed to scrounge up two other human beings. I think it was two or three. Two or three old friends of mine. And we went to see the movie and we had a good old laugh, a good chortle. It was really fun. And I can't honestly remember much of the first film, but I do remember a general feeling of dissatisfaction leaving the theater. (laughs) And this one, I did not feel that way. I was pleasantly surprised all of the social commentary aspect of it was pretty shocking in the moment for me just because I wasn't expecting it going in to have such a heavy handed, not really a message, but like an undercurrent of political intention. But the, mm-hmm. more I, the more I reflect on that looking back, the more sense it makes to me both in the story and for these characters like on a meta level because they are the Suicide Squad.
1: So you enjoyed it? Yeah, overall I did. What would you grade it as? Like quick grade?
0: Out of ten, or like on a letter scale, either. Just like in a vacuum, or in the context of the DC universe
1: as it stands today. Not just in the DCEU, but like as a movie. As a movie, yeah. Uh Probably
0: in the realm of a of a of a B. Okay. To be honest, usually I don't go in for the slapstick, absurdist comedy in yeah. superhero films, but I but and I would usually critique that much more harshly for myself in movies like this. But I think for The Suicide Squad, when you're dealing with a cast of absolutely insane characters, I think it worked really well. James Gunn's style. 80, 90% of what he did in this film really worked for me from the humor to the narrative to the like the plot. Sure. Because it is so absurd. Like the, the movies, it's bad shit crazy. And I think that worked for me for the most part for this movie in particular. So I would give it somewhere in a B.
1: Yeah, I think I would also grade it the same as a B. I was going to say B plus, and that's solely to the credit of James Gunn. I have a hard time grading or judging this movie because I'm very much back and forth on it. I'm like, was it enjoyable? Yeah, it was very enjoyable. Was it entertaining? Extraordinarily entertaining. There was never a boring moment. No. Was it well written? Yeah. It was fantastically well written, amazingly directed. Acting was fantastic. Music choices were fine and on point. The graphics were great. Some cool,
0: some cool effects in there. Yeah.
1: Just really, it was a lot of fun, but, and I know that people would disagree with me here, but I think the thing that I feel about this movie is it lacked some of the heart, which is like sort of shocking for me because I would say that the thing that like makes up a James Gunn film most of the time is heart if you look at the Guardians movies and how they all essentially become this family in the first one and, you know, Groot's sacrifice and all that jazz, it's so full of heart. And I did see heart in this movie as well, but it just, it sort of, and I'm not saying it didn't have heart or soul. It just felt sort of soulless to me in a lot of places and a lot of like the corners, but there was soul there as well. I'm not going to say that it wasn't soulless entirely. Like I would say it had like 65% 65% soul, 35% soulless. <laughs> and I think that's what I'm feeling and why it kind of left sort of a bad taste in my mouth because I was expecting it to be 100% soul and heart and fun and entertaining on top of that.
0: That's interesting. I would say I felt in percentage wise, it had a little bit more soul for me, mm-hmm. it, but it, I think it is hard to compare to like when guns struck lightning with like Guardians 1 and what he was able to capture there.
1: I think my least favorite part about the Suicide Squad, honestly is the first act. I think the first act could have been a lot stronger because the second and third acts were like exactly what I thought it would be, but the first act. So that's why I grade it less. And I feel like it has like 35% less soul because the first act was not as strong as it could have been. I really didn't like how it opened, even though Mm. I know a lot of people liked how it opened. I see. Yeah. And then it like rewound. Yeah. And then kind of played like a gotcha. I wasn't a big fan of that. <laughs> yeah. I had a really hard time with that from a like, critic standpoint. And I'm being overly critical. I mean, that's sort of like what this podcast is about. I'm trying to be as critical as possible mm-hmm. to give sort of a uh, an objective point of view rather than even though I'm being subjective. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I think the first act really left a bad taste in my mouth. And then as the film went on, the characters became super well flushed out. I enjoyed all of their story arcs, even the moment where the Peacemaker and Rick Flag. Yeah. And then it rewound again and went and told Harley Quinn, Polka Dot Man, uh, Bloodsport and Milton's story. <laughs> I liked that part, but they did that in the beginning too. And I didn't like it there. I liked it better at that point in the movie. Yeah, I have a lot more to say. I loved Starro as a villain. Starro was like one of my favorite things about the 90s animated Justice League show. I think at the end of season one or two, Starro's like the main finale villain. Really? Yeah, and he's dope. Does he do the same shtick in that? Yeah, exactly. But he takes over the whole Justice League. What? Yeah. I forget who beats him. I think it's, I think it's the Flash, but I can't remember.
0: I did not expect how far they were going to lean into that. Both in a cosmic horror sense, but also in like body gore, body horror when they were, like, ripping people's Mm -hmm. faces off and bisecting them in that lab, I was like, holy.
1: Yeah, that was another thing. This movie was rated R, and James Gunn often praised Warner Brothers for how much freedom they gave him to be able to make this movie R, whereas other studios (laughs) have not given him (laughs) the freedom to do certain things. Marvel.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love how balls to the wall it went in that direction. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I loved, I do think, The second and third acts stood out for me as well because I just generally speaking in cinema, I'm not a big fan of rewinding time. It does feel like a gotcha kind of. It's like a placebo. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I was just going to praise some of the stuff that came later in the film, like you were with the turn with Peacemaker.
1: Mm. Was that a turn though?
0: I mean, whether or not you saw it coming, I mean specifically like when John Cena turned into a real actor. Because for me, (laughs) Peacemaker until the third act of the film Oh, my God. Doesn't have much of a character. Shots fired. John. <laughs> and that's not to, you know, poop on John Cena, because I think he's shown some chops in the past. But John I, when, Cena. He, when he went full Agent America on Rick Flag, because Rick Flag is having that crisis of faith in his own country, I guess. In the third act, and you see them as foils of each other. I thought that was a really fascinating turn. And there's, a, I actually picked up a lot of emotion in John Cena's eyes as he was fighting Rick Flag, and then he has to fight. Bloodsport, and it seemed like there was actually a lot of depth there that I'm excited for them to dig into in the Peacemaker show that's mm-hmm. going to be on
1: HPL Max. That they set up with the post credit scene of this film. Yeah. And that James Gunn is also basically in charge of, which is nice.
0: So that was a very pleasant surprise for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There are two standout moments for me in this movie besides seeing Starro in like a live-action form. The first one was, I think it was the end of Act One. This is like where the movie took a turn for me. Or they, they bust into that camp and they kill everyone <laughs> only to find out that they were all on their side. Like they were the rebels against the people that they're trying to take out. That was hilarious. Like that was an amazing sequence, amazing sequence for that one. It all came to this Zenith where they found out that, well, wasn't supposed to kill any of them. And, um, the other thing that like the reoccurring gimmick was polka dot man's mom. Yeah. That was so <laughs> funny. I thought that that was very, very clever. One of the things about James Gunn's movie making is it's always interesting to me how much heart he can get out of such a comical or jokey topic. So like, it's a funny thing to see this character who's seeing his mom and his hatred for his mom and everything that he interacts with. That's funny, but it's also the thing that is driving the character. So that it's like the way that James Gunn directs that actor, David, To act serious. The character is taking this seriously, and he's very affected by the fact that his mother essentially uh, experimented on him and made him this nothing superhero. (laughs) And he has felt tortured, like he has a ghost of his mother following him around. You know, it's very Joaquin Phoenix Joker esque in that way. You know, they dealt with that very seriously, but it always played as a joke on screen. So, Nobody can actually say that character wasn't developed. Like that character didn't have a story arc because it was fully fleshed out. But every time it happened, it was a gimmick. It was a joke. And so that's one thing that James Gunn does really well is he walks that line and balances sort of on that teeter very well, always sort of making it funny and then pulling the curtain back and seeing the heart.
0: Yeah. He does that with a lot of his characters. Yeah. Not, not quite as... Almost every- everyone. Yeah. <laughs> And I, like I said, I do feel like I didn't feel like it was lacking as much heart as much. I really enjoyed the emotional core that Daniela Melchior brought as Ratcatcher 2 to the group of... We're reminded throughout the movie just how these are really not good people. They're they're killing a lot of people. Even Bloodsport, the main antihero, the main character of the Suicide Squad, you could say, it opens with him, you know, like screaming... At his daughter. <laughs> but to then show that there is a, still a something good inside of them, even if they're all kind of simplified as, like I said, the rogue character with a heart of gold, I think it worked enough for me that I didn't feel like it was lacking, for the most part, as much heart, or at least any more than I was expecting from a Suicide Squad movie. <laughs> yeah. And you could say the bar was
1: kind of low. The thing that worked better in this movie was that the characters sort of remained who they were as very reserved, closed-off emotionally people when in the original movie, they began to trust each other, right? And they're like, oh, you have a broken past. You have a broken past. We can all kind of gather around that and rally and fight Cara Delevingne's character. And so this movie played more with, like, the fact that they're always... You never know if, like, one of the characters is going to turn on you. And I think that, you know, that played into its favor. And that's kind of what you want from a Suicide Squad movie. And I think that was honestly the worst part of the first movie, was how the characters kind of became this, like, family, you know? Mm -hmm. And they shouldn't have done that in a movie that's supposed to be a bunch of villains. Anyway.
0: What did you think of all the subversion in the second act with the the coup and Harley, like... One of the things that was confusing for me in the film was like why this guy this up-and-coming leader of the coup was trying to marry Harley Quinn who was just sent to his island to
1: <laughs> that was great
0: and then she just shoots him which I thought was awesome but I was like why is this guy trying to marry him? well he he explained yeah that. he explained his own reasoning but as a person watching the film it's insane <laughs> which I, I guess is it's part of the point too but one of the things I loved about this film was how much more they gave to Harley Quinn. Uh, to like show that she can kick just as much ass as anyone in her whole escaping the dungeon sequence. And she's just like (laughs) shooting and stabbing. and uh, She's brutal. Yeah, she's just killing everybody to get out of here.
1: That's definitely her character, much more than it is in the first Suicide Squad movie. I know that people really liked the Emancipation movie as well. I didn't see that one, The Birds of Prey. I did see it. How is Ewan? He's good. He's good. Yeah. One of my other favorite things about this movie is the, the analogy of how the rats are an example of Bloodsport's unwillingness to connect emotionally. That was Baller by James Gunn. It's the chef's kiss. Like that was, that was expertise filmmaking for sure. And then in the end, you know, he lets the rat Sebastian kind of cuddle up on his leg and pets him. Which showed growth in him as a character and as a person to connect emotionally with another another being, another creature. Because he couldn't even connect with his daughter, as you said. And so when I saw him connect with the rat, I'm like, oh, that's an analogy for him being ready to connect with his daughter, I think. Which was nice. I thought that was a really beautiful touch. And that's how they ended the movie, which was really cool. Sebastian was adorable. Yeah. Yeah, the rats... I feel like you could pull a
0: lot out of those, too, even as moving towards, like, the political...
1: Let's talk about the social text. commentary a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's a lot.
1: You want, to, you want another thing that stuck out to me the most? What? Okay, so there's a scene where Viola Davis, who is a black woman, is raging in her megalomania, and all the characters around her, you have a, a fat white guy with a beard, nerdy guy. You have a white woman. Very attractive. And then you have... <laughs> Rolling my eyes. Then you have you have a couple other people and they're all in this room where they're controlling everything. Let's call it the control room. Aptly named. Yeah. And Amanda Waller's like, I'm gonna kill all them. And she's freaking out. And they're like, No, no, no. These people are going to save the lives of the people on Corto Maltese. And one character decides to take her out, and it was by the only other black woman in the control room. And I'm like, Wow. Because they could not have had a man, a white man or a white woman take out Viola Davis, who is a black woman, because it would have been too politically incorrect. So the only other person that could have taken out Amanda Waller being a black woman was another black woman. I was like, I guarantee you at some point they had to have that conversation because it's too politically incorrect to show like a white man, you know, if they would have had to do with the beard or the woman, the white woman stand up and knock her over the head with a bar, it would have been too politically incorrect in our day and age to show that. I'm not against it. I just thought it was very interesting because I was like, "Oh, yeah, there's no other human being, not even like an Asian person or like an Asian woman or man could have done that because race is so interwoven into the social consciousness these days that it could not have been another human being besides a person that is of equal race and gender. And I thought that that was really interesting.
0: <laughs> I didn't think about that at all <laughs> when I was in that scene, but it's true. Yeah, that did not that did not occur to me.
1: And then Allie, who was watching it with me, pointed out, she. <laughs> I thought that this was funny because when all the starfish, when Star was in kaiju form and all the baby starfish were shooting outside of him, she's like, do you think this is an analogy for the coronavirus? And I was like, damn, I didn't pull that. Uh, it could be, but I also think that it was like written and this is how it's always been in the comics. So like it might play as that analogy for the coronavirus and how all these different people are reacting to it.
0: There was a line in the movie about wearing your mask. That's what stood out to me in terms of the pandemic, but true. I think it's when they were grilling the thinker and Harley Quinn's walking back, just like laying on quips. And at one point she says, or is they're talking like about like coughing without like, Oh yeah. There was another line about coughing without like using your hand. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure this was written before the pandemic, but it just struck me as yeah very topical. And I was like, Oh, this is interesting.
1: <laughs> well, they were shooting this in the pandemic so that they, they very well could have done like a quick rewrite on set. So toss that joke in there. Yeah. Easy.
0: But, yeah, and then there's everything about, like I said, American imperialism and intervention around the world through destabilization of countries' political
1: and also structures, yeah, even how like America, known by other countries, sort of fumbles their task within those events, yeah, like we were the ones who effed it up in the first place and brought star out of Earth, yeah. That was great. And then we just tried to sweep it under the rug and, you know. When the
0: thinker was just laying into Rick Flag, he's like, it's your country that's doing everything here. It's entirely. (laughs) And yeah, both from that and just like the whole political destabilization stuff, I was like, this is, I was in shock because while it's all completely 100% true and accurate and, you know, historically, it's important that people can see this even inside the lens of a superhero film. I was just shocked that it was doing it so brazenly, which is awesome. And I'm really excited to see all the people that might get upset about this in their superhero movie. Because it was every few minutes, it was like, I think, what's her name? Who was the lead of the uh, resistance movement? Alice Braga. She makes her own comment about, like, you Americans, you know, blah, 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 when she's talking about the mindset of these people coming into her country and doing whatever they want. And another level to that, or another layer I found really interesting, was that it shows how, like, <laughs> fucked up both of these sides of the political coup are. Like, it was the initial family that the Americans had set up there to kind of more or less oversee Jotunheim and Starro that were sending political prisoners there into the substation to be tests for Staros capabilities. Mm-hmm. But the coup was just as ruthless in terms of like what they were willing to do. So it was really interesting to watch like, or to consider in this angle of American imperialism, because the question always is on a global scale, what's the best option? Is it just complete non-intervention or like what? So
1: foreign policy?
0: Yeah, because it's the American intervention that has caused all this conflict in the first place. But It's just interesting in this movie that both of what we know about those that were in power before and those that came after were both corrupt and ruthless and little regard for human life. Right. And I'm curious who the resistance fighters under Alice Braga were supporting. If they're like, they're overthrowing the coup, which means they were in line with the family that was there before, which I kept thinking about in the film, like what's going to happen after this to the island? Like, yeah. Who's going to be left in power in this vacuum of, you know, governmental infrastructure.
1: And it's interesting that like in the middle of this DC comic book movie, you're thinking about the power structure, <laughs> like the infrastructure of the government of this space. This island nation. That is made up. You yeah. Know? It's not even a real place. <laughs> That's so interesting. I'm curious if you have any commentary on the fight between Rick Flagg and Peacemaker and all that, as far as social commentary goes. Well, they were,
0: you know, essentially behind the whole thing. I thought that was great.
1: That played into the social commentary because like Peacemaker being, he should be like an all-American poster child, but he's not.
0: I, I absolutely loved, like I said, everything they did with Peacemaker in the third act. He is embodying the American political machine of peace at any cost of like. Yeah. The holier than thou sort of anything to achieve our goals mentality and then contrast that with rick flag's disenchantment of that whole system where he thought he was doing what was right doing what was good and he comes to realize that he was just a pawn you know it's a really nice yeah metaphor for like everything that's been going on today with people
1: rick flag was probably the most honorable person in the whole movie he's
0: the only person that's not (laughs) he
1: actually tried to do the right thing insane yeah (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah, he had a lot of great character
1: i'm really bummed that He He died. He no longer exists after this movie. Yeah.
0: I'm also sad because they gave him such a great character towards the end. And I I
1: really let you know that he died. Yeah. By literally showing a CGI heart. (laughs) You remember that? Yeah. Getting stabbed. The... Yeah. that was really weird they went inside of his body to show you that his heart got stabbed and he's not going to be like i wonder i wonder if at some point wonder Brothers solid movie was like so does rick flag die <laughs> and he's like i don't what do you want me to do like put like a computer graphics like heart getting stabbed by the thing that they're like yeah yeah that's true i i was thinking that was an interesting shot it wasn't even good that was the worst cg shot in the whole <laughs> film as if it was thrown in there like as an afterthought so funny And then to finish that
0: thought about the tape, the way it ends with Bloodsport essentially using it as leverage against Amanda Waller to let these people go their separate ways. Yeah, that was interesting. Really fascinating morally gray ending there because the truth is still hidden and it's only being used as the collateral for these people to, uh, I guess, be released from their hold and not die because they've still got exploding chips in their brains.
1: He's acting completely in character by using it as leverage. And yeah. that's the interesting thing. Because in like, the
0: end, he's, he's not a hero. Yeah. Still.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's overcome his emotional stagnation, but he is still making bad choices. And I think that's sort of the heart of this movie and why it's still good. And again, like I said, I think it's one of the reasons that played into the detriment of the first Suicide Squad movie. Because by the end of the first movie, all their motivations were pure and good. Even Harley Quinn. Who was like a murderer? She went around with Gotham and killed people with Joker. She's like got pure intentions by the end of the first movie. This one, you know, she's much more ambiguous and clearly a psychopath.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: I think that's where the draw is because, like, that's what makes for a good character being well written is that they overcome their personal emotional hangups, but they are kind of still the same person by the end of the movie. And that's what makes it interesting.
0: Yep. You know, it was scored by John Murphy. He did sunshine he did a very oh. famous piece for sunshine called adagio right right, right. I, I know exactly what you're about. but he hasn't scored much in the last few years i i thought he was a pretty interesting but random pick for this movie
1: he must be a warner brothers connection
0: so james gunn is going back to marvel now right for guardians three
1: yeah he's directing guardians three but he's got projects both with marvel and with dc working simultaneously he's doing peacemaker he supposedly is going to do something else with dc like potentially another suicide squad movie or different franchise pop off king and then he's also doing the guardians of the galaxy christmas special for disney plus there's a christmas special yep which will be canon and necessary to watch i think he said before or after guardians 3
0: will it have wookies
1: i hope so <laughs> can <Could> you imagine
0: <laughs> i can
1: all right all right we'll catch you next time on the cult Popcast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>